we're going to consider a little bit of what I read earlier to you. I read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And the title of this sermon is His Name Shall Be Called Wonderful. His Name Shall Be Called Wonderful. We can see that again. Look at verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Right, we had some quizzes earlier on, didn't we? Uh, Maybe you thought you were finished, done with the quizzes for one day. Well, you're not. No calling out. Remember, I don't like it when people call out. If you think you know the answer, you put your hand up. And no conferring. Someone tell me who he is. Actually... Put your hand, I'm interested to know who does know this. No calling out, remember? Just put your hand up if you think you know who he is. is it, really, is it that bad? Yeah, I think. Oh, no, no, don't If you think you might know, put your hand up. I, you know, this proves a point. It, I'm, in a way, I'm glad because then it proves exactly what I'm about to tell you. I didn't think so. Surely there's more hands. For the record, no hands are up. Paul, yeah, but your hand's gone down. Is it up or down, Paul? It's up, good. Right, I don't want to put you on the spot, but who do you think? I think it's Walt Disney. Walt Disney, very good. It's Walt Disney, well done. I thought that the oldies in here would know who that is, or was, he's, he's dead now. I thought the oldies would know the answer to this one, that this is Walt Disney. I'm very, very surprised. Most young people who visit uh, Disney World in America are not even aware that Walt Disney existed. That really surprises me. Apparently, young people, they think of Disney as being nothing more than a fantasy world inhabited by the likes of Mickey and Minnie Mouse. They don't even know that the founder of the Disney empire was a man named Walt Disney. For a lot of people, especially children, Disney is good fun, it's entertainment, it's very expensive... And it doesn't really matter if we know anything about the founder of Disney, Mr. Walt Disney. In much the same way, Christmas can be good fun, especially for children. It's a time when there's a lot of giving, a lot of receiving, and most people don't think beyond the decorations, excessive eating and partying. As has been said... Christmas time, mistletoe and wine. 
However, when it comes to knowing anything about Christ or even acknowledging him, most people are woefully ignorant about him or have no interest in such things. Even though they celebrate Christmas, they have no interest, no knowledge of Christ. And I get it. It makes sense to me. It's uh, it's uh, an unfortunate situation, but it does make perfect sense. After all, Jesus said to his disciples, if the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. As such, why on any why on earth would anyone be so naive as to imagine that the birth of Jesus would be commemorated and celebrated at Christmas in a world that hates Christ. Although at the Passover feast certain Greeks came to the Apostle Philip and they said to him, Sir, we would see Jesus. At Christmas time people are more likely to say, Sir, we would see Father Christmas. The prophet Isaiah said the following about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. What was the case in Isaiah's time must surely still be the case. He was despised and rejected of men and we esteemed him not. And you can imagine it, you despise someone so much you turn your face from them. How anyone could turn their face away from the Lord Jesus Christ? It happened 700 years before Jesus came into the world and it happens every day now across the world. I've got another picture here. This, let's be honest, this really does sum up what Christmas is for most people. Santa and, of course, of course, the present. All those presents there in his sack. And we're all waiting for Santa to come down our chimneys and leave a present for us. That's Christmas, isn't it? What name can we get if we rearrange Santa? Donald! Well, I never... Satan. Yes. You rearrange Santa, very easily you get Satan. Isn't that interesting? I find it very interesting. I should imagine that Satan is more than happy for us to focus on Santa at Christmas time. To focus on Santa and the Prezies, of course. And do you know what? I should imagine that Satan doesn't even mind if we take a little look at Jesus, provided that we look at baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths, clothes in a manger, and as long as we don't dwell upon the fact that he came into the world to save sinners. 
You've all seen the Christmas cards. Maybe you've sent them. Maybe you've already received some this year. Pictures of little baby Jesus in the arms of Mary or wrapped in swaddling clothes. Okay. As long as we don't go beyond that as to why Jesus came into the world. However, we will look beyond the manger and we will consider the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ and his wonderful works. Again, let's have a look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. And so it goes on. Various descriptive names for the Lord Jesus Christ. But that list starts with him, his name shall be called Wonderful. And the prophet Isaiah spoke those words about Jesus over 700 years before the virgin birth. No doubt we all say that word wonderful from time to time. I might say that my wife's Christmas curries are wonderful. But when something is wonderful, it is way beyond nice or good to look at or to taste. It is so extraordinary that it elevates our thoughts towards our maker, almighty God, when something is truly wonderful. For example, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14, something that we considered on Sunday Sunday evenings not so long ago, the Lord appeared to Abraham, who was 99 years old, and said to him that his wife Sarah would bear a child. You may remember that. Sarah, who was 89 years old at the time, and barren, long past the age of bearing children, she heard what the Lord said and she laughed with it in herself. The Lord then said to Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life and Sarah will have a son. That word hard, the Lord said, is anything too hard for the Lord. That word hard means wonderful. It means marvellous. It means extraordinary. The Lord was saying, is anything too hard, too wonderful, too extraordinary for the Lord? And the answer is, of course, no. There's nothing too hard, too wonderful, too extraordinary for the Lord. Needless to say that at the age of 90, Sarah gave birth to her son Isaac and God was glorified. As wonderful as that was, it doesn't even begin to compare with the virgin birth. To think that in baby Jesus dwelt all the fullness of God. How marvellous and how wonderful that is when you consider that the Son of God who made everything and who upholds everything 
by the word of his power or by the utterance of his omnipotence entered the world as a little baby veiled in flesh. As the hymn writer said, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Years ago when I taught at uh, an international Christian school in India, a colleague of mine who taught, of all things, RE, religious education, in a Christian school. He scoffed at the very notion of baby Jesus being fully God. It absolutely staggered me to see him scoffing at that truth that in baby Jesus dwelt all the fullness of God. And it's not even my own words there. I'm quoting Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. We're told precisely that in the word of God. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. One might reasonably say that that RE teacher did not see the wonder of the virgin birth. Neither did he marvel at it, unlike a man by the name of Simeon, who, holding baby Jesus in his hands in the temple in Jerusalem, prayed, Lord, now lettest thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. That man... Simeon, he saw what the RE teacher failed to see. The Saviour sent by God. Moving on from Jesus being a little baby, there was an occasion during his earthly ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus, when he stood at the tomb of a man who had died And that man's name was Lazarus. We're told that Lazarus had been dead for four days and that his body began to stink. Even so, Jesus called out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus rose from the dead and came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was bound about with a napkin. Most certainly there were others in the Bible who raised the dead, but they did so by the power of God. However, just before the man who is God, the Lord Jesus Christ, raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And on another occasion, Jesus declared himself to be the way, the truth and the life. Time and again the Bible exhorts God's creatures to praise the Lord for his wonderful works. For example, in Psalm 107 verse 8, the psalmist said, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. The wonderful works of God most certainly include the Lord Jesus Christ raising people from the dead, not forgetting all his other wondrous 
and wonderful works, such as multiplying just five barley loaves and two small fishes in order to feed a multitude of people, over 5,000 people. And by the time those people had had their fill of food, there were 12 baskets of fragments left over. More more food than there was to start with. Jesus having multiplied that small amount of bread and fishes. Truly wonderful, I would say. Or what about the wedding feast when Jesus turned water into the very best wine? How long does it take to produce good wine? Jesus did so immediately. Water in water pots used for washing hands and feet. Jesus turned that water into the very best wine. Truly wonderful works of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we can and ought to praise God for the beauty of creation, which declares his glory. Each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made by God, and we all bear testimony to his creative handiwork. Concerning the Son of God, we're specifically told that all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So far we've considered that the Lord Jesus Christ showed himself to be wonderful when he, who is the eternal Son of God, was born of a virgin and wrapped in swaddling clothes. We've seen that Jesus did various wonderful works, such as raising the dead. We've seen that the heavens and all of creation are the work of his hands and they declare his glory. But of all that Jesus has done, the thing that excites in his redeemed, the greatest level of wonder, amazement and admiration is the fact that he was nailed to a cross and that he was lifted up to die, bearing away their sins in his own body. That is precisely why Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you know, every Sunday, every Sunday morning at this church, some of us come here in the morning, Christians, people who belong to Jesus, we come here for no other reason than to remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. I don't know about others, but it's something that I can never get tired of. It's always special, a very special time for me. And I trust it's a special time for all who come to that service of remembrance. Just thinking about the Creator God, the one who is wonderful, the Lord Jesus Christ, being nailed to a cross and lifted up to die between two thieves, bearing away my sins. Does Christmas extend beyond the festivities to you commemorating and celebrating 
the Son of God, who is wonderful and who, I might add, is altogether lovely. He's coming into the world and becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, as he paid the penalty for your sins. If indeed he came into the world to save you from your sins. And to shed his blood. To cleanse you from all unrighteousness. To make you fit to enter into the presence of a holy God. Washed in his blood. Clothed in his righteousness. That is the only way any of us can ever be accepted by God. God who is holy. The angels in heaven, I often mention this, they cover their faces in the presence of holiness. We don't have to do that. We stand before God, clothed in Christ. And if you believe in Jesus as your saviour from sin, you enter into the holiest with boldness by a new and living way, by the blood of Jesus. You enter through the veil, which is his flesh that was broken at the cross. And you do so as a child of God, a priest of the Most High God. And so... This is how it is for all who believe that that baby Jesus, the Son of God, bare in his body their sins and took those sins away. And that is truly wonderful, truly wonderful. As the hymn writer put it, how marvellous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me.